Hi, and welcome to another Perishable episode. Today, we're going to talk to Danita Gilbert. Danita is a nurse with Mercy Ships, and she's just been deployed off the coast of Senegal. And we're going to have a chance to talk to her. I'm interviewing her uh, several days before she left, but by the time you're listening to this, she's already going to be on the ground in Senegal. So listen in, and I hope you're as inspired listening to her as I was um, interviewing her. Here's Danita. Danita, thanks for being willing to do something like this. Well, thank you for asking, Erin, and I hope I learn something about myself, too. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> it's an adventure for everybody. That's great. Well, here's the question. Let me start off with this, and um, I didn't prepare you for this. I could have, but no. I thought it's much funner just to throw you on the spot. Right on the spot. So who is Danita in four words? Can I use my social media answer? Sure. If you, you, yes. <laughs> it's three words that I think sum me up pretty well. Uh, I'm a nerd. I'm a, I'm a nomad and I'm a nurse. Nerd, nomad, and nurse. I love the ends. <laughs> if there was another word, uh-huh. what would you uh, A fourth word? A four, it doesn't have to start with N yet. You can think about that oh, later. Oh boy, yeah. Alliteration. Um, Let me, so nerd. Yeah. That speaks of your... Just big time into science fiction, board games, video games. Yeah. Yeah, all those things. Yeah. Um, what was the second end? Nomad. Nomad. Yeah. Speaks of? I get a little antsy if I'm sitting in the same place too long. I love exploring and finding new places, meeting new people. Now, have you always been like that? Or is this something that you've discovered later I mean, in life? I haven't always been a world traveler, obviously, but I always did. I, I was homeschooled growing up, and I think that was just the only thing I had to do. I kind of was a little bit sheltered. We lived out of town and didn't have a lot of friends close by, so I just kind of went outside and ran around in the bush, <laughs> and, right. and that and was my recess. And your parents hoped you'd come back yeah. before dark. Fingers okay. crossed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's always kind of been there, but yeah. then the world just got bigger as you exactly. got older. Yeah, just very... as far as I was able to go on my own yeah. power. <laughs> very cool. Yeah. And nurse. So have you always wanted to be a nurse? No. So what was it before it was a nurse? What was it you think growing up you wanted to oh, be? Oh, I don't know. I went through phases... Um, but I used to actually be horrified about blood. Um, fortunately, though, I have two brothers that are very prone to injuries, <laughs> and I got acclimatized as I got so older. You're, you're just numb now. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Um, so before nursing was an idea, what were some other things that you thought maybe when you became a, a, a grown-up you would be? I think I knew, I always knew it was going to be something in the science field. I've always loved science and biology. I, I wanted to do like paramedic for a really long time. That's kind of what I was pursuing, but I switched into nursing for a number of reasons, but because I think I knew I wanted to do something in a humanitarian context, and I knew that would give me the most opportunities, um, the most flexibility, because I wasn't really sure. Um, and I went through an Egyptologist phase. <laughs> But that was like... Danita, who didn't go who through did an Egyptology right? Everyone phase? thinks Egypt's cool. Okay. No, that's true. It's true. My daughter was totally into yeah. that stuff as well. But uh, 
Well, that, that's interesting. So, um, so how long have you been a registered nurse? When did you uh, start school and how long have you been? Started school um, here in Peterborough in 2008, graduated and got my license in 2012. And straight away, my first job, my first two jobs, the longest job that I've held, they've all been in surgical nursing. I always, I found I enjoyed it in school and was pretty excited when I found an opening here. So surgical nursing, you're handing the vice grips? And no. The, oh, <laughs> I, it's always a little confusing, yeah. When I say that, it doesn't mean that I'm in the operating room. Um, I'm working in an inpatient you're on the sur- surgical yeah. setting. So on the surgical ward with Got patients it. who've had surgery or waiting for surgery. Yeah. 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 And so those were your jobs at a school. Yep. Those were your choices of where you wanted to work. Yeah. So what was your first um, kind of uh, introduction to Mercy Ships then? While I was still a student, I so wish I still had this text. It's on an old phone. But my dad, um, out of the blue one night, I remember I was sitting in my car in a driveway somewhere and just got a text that said, your mom and I just watched this documentary about this ship where they do surgery and you need to go look it up like as soon, like right away, go look it up and watch it. You're going to do this someday. And I was kind of like, yeah, okay, dad. Okay. Just calm down, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I did, I obliged. I was like, well, that does sound kind of neat. Looked it up and I put it in, I bookmarked it along with, you know, about 20 other things that I was like, dream jobs, you know, someday, like right. working in the Antarctic, working for these, this organization, MSF and this and that, and Mercy Ships was right. on that, right. in that folder. Wow. And yeah. so how long after that text was it something you pursued? It was, I think, once I graduated and started working and I started looking in earnest at like what I could do next. Mm-hmm. And I did apply for a few other things. Um, but they just didn't fit or or they didn't yeah. hire me. And I still had that kind of in there, mm-hmm. the back of my mind. And I thought, you know, this is exactly what I'm doing. It's surgical nursing. So mm-hmm. as soon as I met the minimum qualifications, I applied. Yeah. Actually, before I met them. It was like in a few months I was going to be qualified, but I applied anyway. And Yeah. And those qualifications were probably just like work experience. Yeah, work, yeah basic yeah, work yeah. experience and stuff. Yeah. 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 So, um, working with Mercy Ships kind of fulfills a couple of your ends. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously the nursing one, but the nomadic part, because mm-hmm. there's always this mystery of not just where you're going to be, but of people you're going to meet, things you're going to experience. Yeah, it's it's always, I mean, there's so much to learn about the world yeah. and about, one thing I love about Africa is that I mean, I mean, there are overarching cultural norms, but there's so many little pockets of culture. Like you can walk five steps and you could meet people from five different people groups that speak five different languages. So yeah. it, it's wild and there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was looking up Senegal on the map mm-hmm. and in doing so, I discovered countries I've never heard of before, <laughs> and I can't believe it. I'm ashamed to say it, although most of us would be the same. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, sure. okay, that's actually a country? How come I've not heard of that? Like, I'm, I'm thinking of the neighboring little yeah. countries, you know? Oh, yeah. And it, it's, it's surprising, um, but yet, yeah. 
you know, and I think this is what's so cool about knowing someone like you is we have this gift of someone who comes, who, who goes somewhere in the world, comes back and offers us a glimpse into something we didn't know existed. I'm not saying gives us a glimpse into something we didn't know um, was happening. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in places that, and I hope those who are listening and those who've been in Danita's life over the years at the parish, I hope you've Googled the countries <laughs> that she's been in. If you haven't, shame on you, unless you absolutely know where they are. But you really need to get lost in uh, the discovery of these really amazing places because it just opens these doors to other things you didn't know existed. And so, and I think that's what kind of um, drives my desire to be connected all the more is because mm-hmm. I think you you offer a glimpse into something that none of us would experience without this relationship. And I think you offer us all something beautiful. So thank you for that. No pressure. Um, no pressure at all. <laughs> that's right. Um, and so we can follow along on your blog or um, uh, when you come home or, or your parents uh, are um, more than happy to fill us all in. But I think this is a wonderful gift um, in your uh, in your uh, is it wanderlust, I guess. Yeah, to and, an and also, yeah, yeah, to an extent, but but also your um, your your desire to be involved in coming back and and, and um, sharing that experience with us. So I think that's very cool. So tell us a little bit then about Africa Mercy. When you went um, the first time, mm-hmm. I'm sure you'd done your research, you'd watched the documentary, but I'm sure there was also a little bit of naivety. Oh yeah. What was the biggest thing you weren't prepared for on your first tour? with mm. uh, um, you because it was Africa Mercy was your first yeah my yeah. first one it, w- it was in Madagascar um, that's a tough question <laughs> you asked me that six years ago um, probably have a better answer um, do you want me to rephrase it maybe well, so, um, let me think. I just um, need to think on it. Yeah, think on it for a second. I'm going to ask it again, though, just... Okay. Um, so, how many tours have you been on? I've been there five times, five different countries. Okay. Yeah. So, you've been on five different... Are they called tours? Uh, field services. Is You've been term. on five different field yeah. services with Mercy Ships, yeah. five different countries. Yeah. Let's go back to the first country you visited, though, and you worked worked in. Yeah. Um, how long were you there? Just two months. Two months, and it was Madagascar? Madagascar, yeah. So in terms of that first experience you had, you've done your research, you'd watched the documentaries your parents wanted you to see. <laughs> um, you're as prepared as you can be, but in what way... Um, what were you not ready for when you first experienced? I think probably the thing I was least prepared for, I did a, I did a lot of research, like you said, before I went to those, every time I go to a country, I try to do a bit of research and um, kind of wrote about it in my blog to kind of be like, you know, get a feel for what this country is about. But what I didn't do at all was uh, any preparation. I didn't really have any expectation for working in such an a multinational environment because it's not just Malagasy people. It's people from every continent of the world that I was working alongside. Um, a lot of people with English was not their first language and a lot of um, wildly different cultures represented there and, and not just like culture in the, in the, I don't know, you know, 
you know, food and, and ritual context, but right. culture in the attitudes and mm-hmm. behaviors and um, just kind of social norms. Right. That's not something that you expect. And that, that's something, there's, there's a book I read just last year that was mandatory reading for me for this long-term commitment. But I was like, man, where was this five years ago? Because it gives you so much insight into um, the differences between those social norms, depending on where you grew up in the world or what kind of mm-hmm. environment you grew up in. Um, and just that the way that you're expected to communicate things mm-hmm. can be complete opposite of what we would expect to be normal. Sure. And the so, things that we think nothing of, little comments, can be huge, earth-shattering comments to someone else from a different culture. Yeah. So that's something that I wasn't in any way prepared for at the time, and it probably took me, you know, two or three years before I started figuring these things out. And then someone gave me a handy book once I had most of it. So, so are you going to tell us what this book is called? <laughs> oh, it's called Foreign to Familiar. It's a very short, easy read. Um, yeah written by like someone who was a missionary kid and did a lot of traveling around the world and uh, just really, it, do, it does a bit of general, generalizing, but it does give you a, so, much, so much of a better grasp of why you know, this person might be offended that you didn't invite them out with your other group of friends, even though they're not part of that group of friends or, mm-hmm. or like all of these things that don't seem like much to us, mm-hmm. but in another context, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think when we grew up here in a monoculture, um, we take for granted that the rest of the world doesn't think like us in like what you've said, every other aspect of life, not yeah. just fashion and culinary, yeah, but everything from ethics and totally ethos to yeah. Social, everything yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. And so when you are thrown into Madagascar yeah. and you experience this, and that's probably just on the boat. That's not even on. Yeah. <laughs> that's just because the ship is like a little microcosm of the world, really. Yeah. 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 So when you're exposed to that kind of diversity, mm-hmm. um, once you get over the shock and begin to learn it, like, um, I, I think a door opens up that can never be shut again. Right? It's like a naivety is gone of, you know, oh, definitely. And, and you yeah. are changed. Yeah. Um, in what ways has that changed you? Cause that just probably happened every port you would visit since then. But when that door sure. opened for you, in what ways have you, are you a different person now? Um, because of your mercy ship experience? I think I have a, I mean, I still have obviously a lot to learn, but I think I have way more respect for people who have come to Canada from a different culture and trying to fit in and find a, find a place here because our culture is very individual driven and very focused on privacy and personal rights. And like African culture in many other parts of the world is very community driven and very much, um, there's very little privacy and everything is done together. For, for the community. And I can't imagine coming out of that and being stuck in somewhere where no one wants to know every detail of your life, but that's all you want is someone that you can share those details with, is, is your neighbor to act like a neighbor and not be like, get off my lawn, you know? Um, so I have a huge respect for that. And, and again, it's something that it still is very much a challenge to try and wrap my head around looking at things the other way because it just doesn't come naturally no matter how much you, 
you, you spend kind of working towards it and living in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a lot to learn from the rest of the world. Totally. Which is ironic because yeah. in the West, we kind of think that, the re- that we're, we need to save the rest of the world. <laughs> you know, ironically. I think, I think we need saving from the rest of the world. I think we do too. Yeah. I think we do too. And I think, um, I know I've traveled a little bit, not, not as extensively as you, but any time I've traveled, it has um, opened a door, like I've mm-hmm. said, that has been unshuttable mm-hmm. to my own detriment um, in the sense that uh, I leave the comforts of Canada and you travel and you see things like the despicable way people in third countries are treated. Um, you see misconceptions that are fed to us on uh, the news and mm-hmm. media here in the West and you see the real side of it and mm-hmm. you just come home and you're so uncomfortable because it's like, I know what that trip cost physically and financially for me to change my view. Everyone over here can't have the same experience, but how do we wake people up, you know, to see the world, Yeah. you know, like right now in Madagascar, they have this incredible drought well, you have a totally different perspective on that because you were there. You mm-hmm. were there in a um, uh, a medical sense, you know, caring for the country. So you just probably have such a different view and perspective. Whereas over here, those of us who don't even know where it is, we know there was a children's movie. It's a cartoon. We're fairly numb to the experience of it and somehow must think that it must be somehow their fault or something. But um, mm. I think that's where when you leave us and go and then come back to us with your stories. I think that's why they're so important. And I think that's, um, you know, no pressure, but um, I do think that you uh, are key to helping us. And when I say us, I mean us as a parish. In understanding our ability to make a difference, you know. Um, Well, I think we're we're on the right track anyway. I think that's one of the things that sets this community of faith apart from a lot of other ones I've been a part of. And, and that's the, it's very community driven and community focused and not just on our own little group of people, but on sure. our greater community at large. And that's, mm-hmm. again, that's a very African concept. It's yeah. like Ubuntu, what, whatever happens to them happens to us too. Sure. And whatever we we do for each other we're doing it together and for our neighbors and um mm-hmm. yeah yeah i like that yeah so um here's a question for you then you may you may have to think about it <laughs> uh, i may have to put this on pause for a minute but um what have you learned about faith in these five different field services services <laughs> you've done cuz you would have experienced multicultural, multi-religious. Oh yeah. A whole bunch of things. What, what have you learned about faith? Not, not, not necessarily what, um, do you know for sure, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. what have, um, what has moved you? What, what have, give us, uh, well, I mean, I've seen faith in action in very tangible ways that I don't think can really be I mean, you could chalk them up to coincidence, but I choose not to because sure. they were very much, th- there's a, a lot of prayer on the ship and it is part of every, every work day and it is a part of every critical incident 
and that totally changes your perspective. Of course, it, I think it it doesn't necessarily change what's going on, but it opens up our perspective to see what God's doing in that situation. And and I think, I mean, we've had the most obvious example, and this one is kind of wild, but there was a patient that was doing really poorly in surgery, and they didn't really know why. They tried everything they could think to try, and her heart was just slowing down, and she wasn't getting enough enough oxygen. And they'd worked on her. They'd been working on her for hours in, in the operating room. And somebody outside of the operating room stepped up to the pager, paged the entire chip, and just said, "Hey, like, this is going on. Everyone needs to pray for this person right now." Sorry. Mm-hmm. And and I. I've heard that happen a few times. Literally everyone just drops everything, prays individually or as a group, and not like two minutes later the person started breathing again, their vital signs came right back up and like coasted through the rest of the surgery just fine. (laughs) And no one in that operating room could give a scientific explanation for that. Sure, right. Um, So, I mean, that's obviously probably the most extreme example, but little tiny miracles happen every day on the ship Mm -hmm. and it's just a a privilege to be able to witness them and acknowledge them in some small way Mm -hmm. and I think it'd be pretty hard to see some of that stuff and deny that God's at work in those in those situations Mm -hmm. Um, yeah Especially, you know, as I think about it, listening to that story, you know, because I've been at the hospital a lot in six months, and you hear a lot of over the PA, mm-hmm. code blue, mm-hmm. <laughs> code yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it would be wild to hear a code P yeah. <laughs> or something you know, that was... <laughs> well, I don't know if we want to do code P. That's, no, it's true. That's, that's a code yellow. Or, oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, but if there was, uh, you know, we need people to pray. But the, the yeah. second thing that just comes to mind that I hear that story is that it's not just people dropping what they're doing and praying for God just to, it's the surgeons continuing what they're doing yep. and people praying that the, the continued act of healing happens yep. and that God uses us and people and whatever that mystery looks like. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a good story. What, I mean, what, so it's a go-to. Yeah, yeah. When you're on a, on a ship like that, then that, um, believes in a tangible spirituality as part of your job, you mm-hmm. are there as a healer and, that comes from your faith in God, all that um, beautiful stuff. So how does, what does a, how do you, what does a prayer look like in the morning? What are you praying for when you get up in that day? Um, I mean, every day is a little bit different. We, I, we just tend to focus on those surgeries that are happening that day. And yeah. we usually kind of, any, anyone that's going through challenges, I mean, really, kind of focus on the specific details because I mean I'm I'm coming at this from a nurse right so this is the the nurse's prayers that go on <laughs> we're like this person's wound is not healing so we're gonna pray about that this person's uh you know having trouble with their nutrition we're gonna pray about that it's it's very specific things it's the same stuff that we're gonna be handing over to the nurse that's taking over for the day shift those are the those are the things that are biggest in our minds and those are the things that we know we can do a little bit 
about. We can help it in the ways that we know how to help it, but we know that that uh, there's stuff we don't have any control over, but but there's someone else who does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, how has your faith changed over the years from all these experiences? Can you? Is it? Something you can you can measure. You can say, you know, this is what I've noticed, or is that too vague a question? I mean, my faith has definitely changed a lot. I I used to be have a very sheltered black and white Sunday school view of God. <laughs> There's no doubt, um, and not just for the ship, but even from joining this uh, community and your teaching and and just the lives in the community here. I've done a lot to shape it, but I think, I mean, there are certain things that I'm very firmly fixed on, but I think I've, over the years, become more comfortable with the fact that there's just a lot that I can't ever understand and that that's okay and that those are not things worth getting into arguments over (laughs) because those tend to be the things that some people have very strong opinions on. Um... But I guess yeah, working in that multi-faith, multinational environment. I mean, our our mantra is in all things, it's not wrong, it's just different. Um, that our view of God is obviously shaped by the people we've grown up around and the country we've grown up in and the language that we speak even. And and I can't say that that's the way that that person worships is wrong. That's not how I relate to God. Personally, that doesn't mean it's wrong. Um, so I, I think, although I still struggle with that sometimes, sure. <laughs> um, I still struggle with judgment 100%. I think it has helped me become a little more open and understanding and I think a little more neutral yeah. in my approach. Yeah. Yeah. So... Having heard your answer, I'm going to take back the question. Oh, dear. The question was wrong. It's not how has your faith changed. The question should have been, and I apologize, how has your faith expanded? Mm. Because I think that is a way better uh, question, considering how, how you've described it. It's not that you, you're heading south and then suddenly you turn and you start heading west. It's that yeah. your view of God just gets so much bigger. Yeah. And in that bigness, sometimes the details or the... Um, the uh, ability to explain certain things kind of gets left by the wayside and you become a little more okay. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no. But you become a little more okay with mystery. Yeah, I think you know, I, think I can relate. nailed it. Yeah. I, can, I can relate to that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the yeah. better question is how has your faith expanded or evolved as opposed to how has it changed? Because... I mean, because it's a journey. So I, th- I, I don't know that... My destination, I, I, I don't know if my destination changed, but I think the route I'm taking probably ch- changed. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, what, what were the five countries in order that you visited? So Madagascar, Benin, Cameroon, Guinea, and Senegal. And then you're heading back to Senegal. Yeah, back to Senegal. Best food experience. Ooh. I have to say Senegal. It's hard because that's where I've spent the most yeah. time. So I had probably the most opportunity to try things. But um, 
the food in Senegal is more of an experience than just a tasty morsel. <laughs> and I think that's part of why I loved it so much. They're, okay, don't leave us hanging. Explain no, the Yeah, 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 I got it. So the national dish of Senegal, it's, there's so many layers to this. So it's called um, chebujen. Chubby gin? Che- <laughs> Chubby gin. There's like five different ways to spell it, so. I'm Googling it later because okay. I'm going to try and make it. All right. There's some good recipes. Um, so Chubby gin, again, it's like, it's, it's really good in and of itself. But the way that it is served and experienced, I think, is what makes it special. It is something that it's cooked all day. It takes like six hours to make. And... It's usually like the grandmother or the auntie that's making it. And it is served in just a giant bowl the size of this table, like as wide as your arms can reach. And you sit on the floor around the bowl. It's not very COVID friendly. <laughs> There's a few rules that break. <laughs> it's, it's just a big bowl of rice and it's like beautiful seasoned, um, like yolaf rice, which is kind of like a Nigerian rice. And they just pile vegetables in the center and meat in the center, usually fish. And then like little, little tidbits around the outside edges. Yeah. You sit in front of the bowl, you get like a little kind of wedge of rice in front of you that belongs to you. <laughs> and then the matriarch of the family, usually the, like I said, the grandma or the auntie or the mom, you don't eat anything until they come and they start kind of divvying up the vegetables and they give this person this piece and this person that piece. And if you don't like that piece, you can put it back in the center. Um, but I just love that we're, you're all kind of eating from the same bowl. You're, you're all sharing this meal. It's very symbolic. It's very beautiful. And you don't take anything until it's been given to you. Yeah. Yeah. So once again, it's that communal ethos that you talked yeah. about. That. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I've had Ethiopian. Oh, yeah. Um, where everything's served on a giant piece of injera. And it's a it's a giant circle. Something about that yeah, circle. Yeah, well, you know, what other shape? I'm sure in the early days, like, what other shape can we do? Um, the triangle was excluding people. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds very cool. Very cool. Um, chubby gin. Ch- <laughs> <laughs> chubby gin. No, chubby gin. Chubby gin. It's like D-I-E. It's yeah. French. Okay. Yeah, yeah cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look yeah, that yeah. up. Um, of all the five countries that you've been to, if you could live in one of them, which one would it be? For how long? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think being nomadic that you are, yeah. you're not going to be anywhere longer it's, than six months anyway. tough to get nailed down. true. Senegal is really beautiful. I, yeah. would, I mean, I'm excited to go back there. I'd be happy to live there. But Madagascar is also like, like a tropical island paradise. So. And they got those crazy <laughs> trees. They got crazy, yeah, they got traveler's ponds. There's, there's lemurs. Madagascar's really, right. like, biological. Janita, we have diverse. lemurs in Peterborough. Oh, <laughs> well, we can't see them right now. That's true, that's true. Okay, <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah. Um, no, there's parts of Madagascar that are just so wild and surreal and otherworldly that I still never got the chance to visit, so yeah. I'd love to go back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not to sound like the same question I just asked, but... Um, Having experienced these five countries and knowing that you love the food of Senegal, but if you could go back and visit one of them, it would be mm. Madagascar. Oh, sorry. I'd have to put Cameroon in there as a second, though, because there's okay. amazing mountains and hiking in Cameroon. Okay. Everywhere else is quite flat. Right. 
So Cameron's up there. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no worries. That's good. So here's a question then. Outside of your uh, uh, mercy ship experience, uh, mm-hmm. knowing that you have this third N, this nomadic um, gene, uh, where else in the world would you, if, if I said, okay, after your experience in Senegal, we're mm-hmm. going to take you and you're going to have to go isolate for a year anywhere in the world um, where you haven't been yet. Uh, like alone? Nope. Or you, like... You can take... I can take buddies with me. Three people and four <laughs> animals. Oh, boy. I, and two board games. I mean, there's, I've never been to South or Central America. So I I definitely need to get there at some point. And I think there's, yeah, I'd probably pick a South American, like, like Peru or somewhere like that, where there's Mm. mountains and there's ocean and there's, uh, there's ancient history. Yeah. Really (laughs) ancient history. Yeah. 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 Peru. Yeah. See, I, I just asked that because, you know, when you are someone who's worldly in the sense that you're experiencing something, but your experience has been determined by other factors and other people. So yeah. if given the opportunity to yeah. choose yourself, yeah. So South America. Yeah, yeah that's, probably. That's wild. I've got a passion for South America myself, actually. Yeah. Um, I've been to Mexico and Dominican, but like... Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just, there's just so many amazing things. And there's a hospitality factor too, right? That, mm-hmm. again, like culturally ingrained. Yeah, a communal idea. Yeah. 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 It's so strange, like just listening to us talk here is, is North America, like <laughs> is, the worst the place European to live. Country is the only place <laughs> where we don't have this communal approach to meals. Like our idea of communal meals here is buffet, <laughs> right? As, yeah. Shovel as much as you can. On like I'm trying plate. to think of a meal aside from a pizza yeah. where we all gather around a circle <laughs> and, um, I guess a charcuterie table. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. You're right. When you've experienced brunch, this, brunch, there you brunch go. is the answer. <laughs> brunch is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's wild. Yeah. Very good. Well, you are heading off to, uh, where first before you, you land in Senegal, Spain for a while. So the ship's actually out of the water right now in dry dock, getting completely like overhauled inside and out. Okay. Um, so I'll be there serving in a non-medical capacity for a few months, just uh, filling some needs in the interim, and then I'll be slowly transitioning into ramping up the hospital again. Yep. In January, the plan is to go back to Senegal. Okay. Um, and there's a brand new boat. Yes. The first ever Mercy ship that's been built from the ground up. There's like, brand new It's brand ship. new. It's going to smell like glue. <laughs> Probably. And yeah. it has not yet been commissioned. Yes. Uh, well, it's, it's been... Mm, have they smashed the bottle they of champagne on the They haven't smashed the, the bottle. So that, the official kind of launch is going to happen in Senegal. They really wanted it to happen okay. in Africa. Yeah. Um, but it is seaworthy. It's sailing right now. It's on its way um, from the shipyard to... Um, to Europe, where it's going to get kind of all the bits and bobs and chairs. And Very British. I love the bits <laughs> and bobs. They can only do that in England. Chairs right. and, and furniture and equipment and all the little things that they need to fill all the spaces. Yep. And when that is done, 
then it's going to join us in Senegal and we're going to switch over. And you're going to switch over. You're going to be on a brand new boat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Purpose built. It's the first ship like this that's not a military ship yeah. that has been purpose built to be used as a hospital. That's amazing. And, and the, the biggest of its kind as well. Well, maybe um, you can give us a nice tour like you did last I time, which was absolutely great. Absolutely looking forward to it, yeah. yeah. For those that remember, um, one time we, uh, live on a Sunday morning, <laughs> Uh, the Wi-Fi will probably be much better on the new ship. I have no idea. It still it still depends <laughs> right. on where we are that's true, in the world. That's true. Um, but we beamed uh, Danita in, and she gave us a, a walking tour of the ship, which was just fascinating. It was amazing on a Sunday morning. It was very cool. So um, it would be great to do that. And you know, hopefully, the parish will be meeting by then. Um, we'll give you a couple months, <laughs> and you can give us a couple <laughs> yeah, months. Yeah, we've got time. Um, yeah, that's that's exciting. It's got to be exciting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. It's it's going to mean, I mean, it's expanding our capacity tremendously, but it's also going to be just uh, such a better experience, I think, for our patients. It's going to be much more comfortable. Mm -hmm. They're going to have, you know, they can go out onto a veranda and get outside because okay. the hospital in, in, in the African Mercy is a bit of a dungeon. There's no windows, no doors, yeah. no outside doors, no cell reception. So it's going to be much, much better, I think. Oh, that's amazing. So cool. Yeah. So people who want to stay in touch and follow along this journey, um, they can, how, how can they do that? They can, uh, so I do have a Facebook group. If you reach out to me through the parish Facebook page, I can add you. Uh, and I have a blog. It's called nurseondeck.blogspot.com. And how often are you going to be? Blogging? Yeah. Oh. Not as often as I should. I try to, you know, every yeah. every month or two. Um, it's easier to do, actually, when I don't have downtime because then there's actually stuff to write about. <laughs> Just the gotcha. challenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a lot. Usually, I I sit down when like something significant yeah. has just yeah. happened, and and I can. Yeah. share that story so okay yeah. so it's, there's uh, several uh, great ways to follow Zanita and uh, track with her while she's away and stay in touch contact her yeah. how how can we um, best support you while you're away you can also go to a nice handy link that is uh, in my Facebook group but if you can remember it it's tinyurl.com slash crewmate2 uh, to get to my donation page Okay, say that again. Tinyurl.com. Dot com. Slash. Slash. Crewmate2. Crewmate2. Um, number two? Number two. Okay. Are you yeah. really the second crewmate? No, my first page I had to change. <laughs> okay. I was, <laughs> I was just crewmate. They changed it. Yeah. Um, and uh, that link's available on your blog and your Facebook yes. group. And we can yeah. make it available again on our Facebook page as well. Yeah. Um, how else can we... How else... Do, what... what makes you feel um yeah supported. i i mean yeah like i the the outpouring you know financial support is great but i think more important than that is just that there's people involved in this and a lot of people who have supported me whether it be financial or not it they just want to be part of the journey and and i do i don't see that this is a thing i'm doing on my own i'm doing this with a lot of people behind me a lot of people kind of walking alongside me, and that that changes my perspective on what I'm doing every day. And uh, and when there's a challenge, and when there's something 
big and scary going on, it's, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing I will put a post up there and ask for prayer because the more, uh, yeah, like it's a, it's a group effort. <laughs> you know, I don't feel like I'm doing this alone. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I, re- I really do think that there's something uh, magic, mystical in supporting somebody who's doing something like this, um, especially someone with your spirit who um, freely tells everybody else that I'm able to do this because you're helping me do it. But I, it really does feel like that we are making a difference in the world, and especially um, in a world like we're living in now where there's just so many problems and we just feel it's just too much, too much, too much. To have someone like Danita in our life and to support her in, in one of the various ways that we can makes you feel like you're at least doing something, even if it's vicariously through Danita. And um, I think we need a lot of Danitas in our life. I do. I think it helps us get out of the places we're stuck when we feel like the world's a terrible place and then suddenly Danita does a blog post and shares some exciting news off the coast of Senegal. Um, we realize, you know what? There's good news too. There are good things happening as well. Yeah. And um, I'm thankful for that. So thank you. Danita for what you do and um, maybe the gift the, the greatest one of the greatest gifts you offer us is um, sharing in your experience and yeah what you're saying is I need to blog more yeah I think, and, and more pictures <laughs> uh, and more, yeah. more food pics and uh, <laughs> yeah. some handwritten recipes I'll do uh, what I can you know I'll um, do what I can no it is it is really important to me to be sharing those experiences. Cause like you said, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a group effort. And the more people that are probably interacting, the more likelihood that you'll be responding and, and, and feeling that, you know, people yeah. are, are tracking. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Very cool. Well, we'll be tracking with you and you can continue to track with us. Sure. And, um, I'm looking forward to, like I said, once again on a Sunday morning, uh, beaming you in live for a little tour of the new, uh, yeah. And, uh, Maybe sometime mercy. next year, early next year, yeah. coming soon. Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> that'll be fun. For sure. Well, thank you very much, Sunita. And we'll be praying for you as you head to Las Palmas. Palmos. That's the one. Yeah, Las Palmas on Sunday and getting ready for uh, your next field placement. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for uh, chatting. This was good. It was good. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, I'll post... Uh, the contact information under here where we you can uh, support Danita and also put her blog post uh, address up as well. 